Welcome to the podcast where we take something old, a Doctor Who story from the original series, compare it with something new, one from the new series, and add something borrowed to make something who. Hello, I'm Richard, and we're back with Something Who podcast. And this time we're looking at how journalist and companion Sarah Jane Smith was introduced in both the original and new series. So first we'll look at third Doctor story, The Time Warrior, from season 11. Then after that we'll examine 10th Doctor outing School Reunion from Series 2. And with me to decide whether these stories are front page news or half a column somewhere deep inside are two Something Who regulars, our favourite storyteller Paul. (laughs) Good evening. Hello. And science and astronomy writer Giles. Evening. People always say that they hate those podcasts where they go uh, rambling on for hours without actually talking about the subject. So perhaps... We should we should dive in and start talking about School Reunion, written by Toby Whithouse and directed mm-hmm. by James Hawes. I guess my intro for this, I'd say, haven't really said it yet, but I, I guess like like a lot of the people who made the the new series, Sarah was my companion. I suppose you know I, I was six at the time of the Time Warrior, and just about nine when she left in the Hand of Fear. And I, I guess you know, although there are there are other companions later on that I have you know some sort of affinity with, I didn't connect with anyone else in quite the same way. It was in that kind of childlike way, I suppose. So, so I loved her in a kind of you know in a pure sort of a way. She was like the the friend that you'd want to have, and I suppose rather like Tom Baker when she left in the Hand of Fear, I couldn't really forgive Louise Jameson for not being Elizabeth Slayton, despite the fact, of course, that she's very good as Leela. What, what does all of that mean? I suppose it means that I'm a bit like David Tennant or the Tenth Doctor here. And while Sarah Jane Smith in School Union is, is, is a woman in late middle age, it's still kind of re- like re- revisiting your first love. And, and, it, and it's, you know, it's clearly Sarah. So anyway, that's <laughs> there's wow. my preamble. Must hit hard for you. You'd, you'd think that I'd have a different reaction because I didn't grow up with her. <laughs> As my first Doctor Who memory is the Hand of Fear, obviously I didn't have a strong attachment to Sarah Jane Smith. So she's just part of my life as a fan yeah. through um, mm. my later childhood and teenage years. And I suppose it may only be a few years later that I discovered what a Sarah Jane Smith is. But even in the late 80s, you know, it wasn't until I was nearly a grown-up that I saw her on screen for the first... No, I, well, I forget the five doctors, but, you know, saw her glory yeah. years. Yeah, mm. I was one of that generation, or every subsequent generation who came to her having been told that she was the quintessential bestest Doctor Who companion ever and had to watch a few stories even not even starting with the Time Warrior I still had to watch a few before I, I, I got it mm. I, seem, I seem to remember my point is you might think I'd have a more intellectual feeling of oh it's Sarah Jane Smith back again that's good because she's she's something from the old days of Doctor Who that thing I like rather mm. than this is something from my childhood which you might which would get me in the gut but if that's true if it is true that it's just an intellectual exercise and and nostalgia it, it works because i tear up in this throughout mm. and i think that's a combination for me of i don't know I, 
I think it might be slightly more than 50-50, slightly, slightly more the way it's written, what it means to the characters involved yeah. in this piece. I do. It's mm. impossible for me, for me to know what I would think if I was a brand new fan who had never seen it before. Mm. And that's what I think is the most interesting thing about this, that it, it's written to appeal both to people who know who she is and the brand new fans who, well, I was going to say, who need to be have this broken to them that the Doctor has had, <laughs> had other friends before. Hmm. That's that's um, by far the most interesting thing about this, the fact that it's the first time in all these years that we explore that, isn't it? Hmm. Hmm. So, having rambled on about that, I'll fade into the background again for a bit. <laughs> I mean, Charles, what about you? What's your what's your Sarah Jane Smith relationship? Uh, probably somewhere between between the two of you, and she was never I really fully became a fan in the you know in the leader period so you know, yeah yeah you know, I, I would say that was when i was you know that would be when i was getting the tv comic doctor winter special or whatever it was and yeah. so i was you know i was becoming properly aware of it and and so yeah it's it's that that thing i know i i'm trying to think but i've really got memories of of her on screen from the from the time and i'm not sure that if i do then they can only be very vague, but again, you know, possibly things like Weetabix cards and stuff like that would have yes, yeah. even been these peripheral things like that. And so, yeah, I guess you got you got to know from from these other bits and pieces before you ever really had the chance to watch her on on video. And I'm trying to think when first time I saw her on TV was probably Genesis of the Daleks when they oh yeah repeated that for. The Doctor and the Monsters season, or whatever it was oh, called, yes. the one the one they did yeah. after the, the year after the Five Faces, and then then I'd obviously have caught some of the some of the VHSs when they came out, even if I didn't have a VHS player myself. Oh, and Canine and Company, of course. Yeah, that seminal um, <laughs> moment. I mean, that that would have been squarely in yeah squarely on target for you as well, Paul. <laughs> so I think yeah, there was always that. The fact they did bring her back, and I don't think we knew at the time that there was talk about. Was they talk about? Did they talk to her about coming back to Bridge the Tom Baker crossover, or was that only Louise Jameson? Oh, I think it's more recently been established that he asked both of them, didn't? Or at least that no, was my on. that's my recollection. Cause... I don't think we knew that at the time, but I think the fact that they did the Sarah and Canine that that's I think that that's that obviously boosted her in our her standing in my young kind of coming to grips with fandom might realise okay she must be a cut above in that you know in that sense that she's got this reputation but anyway all of which is a very long way of getting to the story that we're watching and and just really probably agreeing with Paul that even you know it's it's not a not necessarily an exercise in nostalgia so much it's just a very well put together and very very well crafted and very well acted, and yes, so it does get you get the emotional punch. I think just the same as you know, as if, as if you'd you know grown up loving her on screen as a as a child, really. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's there's something about that performance, particularly in the in the two Tom Baker seasons that she did, that that sort of transcends pure nostalgia. In, you know, into something that that you know that that, you, that I guess when you see it later on, it you know it still becomes a, a strong thing. Oh yes, of course. I mean, there's no question that she is in 2006. If you had to pick a character to mm. fill this 
this role, this function. You'd mm. pick Sarah Jane Smith for all the yeah. reasons we've mm. discussed. Yeah. But if, if she hadn't existed, you'd have had to invent her, I think. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> as, as I said in the past, I sometimes find Louise and Tom more enjoyable to watch together on the screen at times, but it's almost the the realism of, of Liz when she's playing it. The realism of Sarah Jane is great, but she's slightly lacking the archness maybe of some of the other some of the other parts and sometimes that's what you want when you're dealing with these absurd situations but again you know the fact that she is and was such a great you know such a just a really damn good actress you know i think that's that's why why they can carry it off here at the risk of sandy sudi she brings an emotional truth to the to the role to the part you know on her return we still very rarely had um seen this sort of scenario explored in the program have we even getting over 20 years later and when we mm. have on the few occasions we have it's been much shorter cameos where like in a couple of them in power of the doctor and so on where mm. you wouldn't be able to get the same where they've had <laughs> in each of which there was a slightly different spin on it mm. but this is i guess a, a one-off you never get a chance to explore it this mm. this much depth again well equally i mean you wouldn't believe Anyway, I think that either Tegan or Ace had spent 30 years pining for the Doctor. It's, it's, they're, they're different sorts of characters, aren't they? What's interesting is the way in which the thoughts about what a companion does after they leave the Doctor have changed since 2006, because to the extent that anybody thought, had thought about it at all before then, I suppose it was the writers in the wilderness years mm. who had come up with a variety of different approaches that subject but often quite cynical and dark (laughs) (laughs) yeah a bit up possibly a bit up themselves i mean it was good stuff but also for every good i'd every good take on it there was a there was what they did to dodo um, (laughs) which if you don't know look it up but i suppose we'd all thought they had we all thought that they just got back to their ordinary lives uh, only less so and fell into sort of depression and ennui and and big alcoholism. <laughs> that's what early big finishes tended to, when they touched upon it, did that. I think that's how they treated Tegan in, um, when she made yeah. a guest, her first guest appearance in Big Finish, which was a one-off. Mm. There's no suggestion she'd done anything with her life other than get completely, trying not to swear. <laughs> You've got the sequence in Mordred and Dead, haven't you? You know, where right. he's going through yes, the, yeah. the former companions there. That, and and, and they, they kind of have just drifted off into mundanity, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, when writers have had to deal with it, and of course the Brigadier becomes a school teacher through bizarre casting um, <laughs> behind yes. the scenes, but there's no suggestion that Sergeant Ben got promoted and, and went up through the ranks and is leading a glorious career. He becomes a used car salesman, and that seems yeah. to be the uh, that seems to set the template. So, yeah. my point is that it, school reunion is the first step down the, the different path towards where we are now, which is that pretty much all the companions, if they had what it takes, carried on being the doctor, doing the doctor's work, hmm. wherever they got dropped off. Hmm. Which I don't think is what people thought. Am I being unfair? Was it just me before 2006? So here we hmm. we get a dip a toe in that water. Sarah Jane Smith is still investigating. Hmm. There's no is there any particular suggestion that she's made a, a habit of investigating supernatural and alien things or is she just here because does she think there's something 
uncanny going on in the schools? Is it, is it just yeah. has she just gone back into the world of of investigative reporting in general, including its earthly side? Well, she says there's a UFO and then right. kids okay. are doing Thank strange you. things. So, so um, yes, there is there's yep. something uncanny about it. Yeah, Mickey is Mickey's. Mickey's Mickey's the one who gets the dialogue that kind of fills us in on the. I really must start watching these more closely. So, <laughs> so we well, he, he gets the backstory of, of why mm, you know, yeah the, the idea that they so we we it's hinted at that but it's, we on the other hand we don't get the impression that, <laughs> that she has a massive alien computer in her attic and no. her own gang of of young companions no. and that she's no. literally being the doctor, which mm. um which grows out of this and uh, as I say is where. We've ended up now, you know, 15 years after this, we've now got that half of the ex-companions work for UNIT mm. and all. Um, yes, because the next, the, next, the next step along this line is in her own show, Sarah Jane's Adventures, when we get the, the list of that little update on the, what's happened to certain other yes. people we've met. Mm. And they're all up to something, aren't they? Ace with a charitable earth and mm. sorry, Dorothy with a charitable earth. Who yeah. else is in that list? There's Ian and Barbara, aren't there? They haven't aged, but it it doesn't specifically say that they're still... um... Mm. Oh, and Joe Joe Grant, of course. Yeah. Yes. With her whole... He's spawned a whole progeny of companions to carry on her work. So this is Russell's, purely Russell's take on what companions do. A very proactive, very positive, big, generous take on... Which is very different although, from the world of the new adventures. Yeah, although interestingly, when he, when given the opportunity to write companions out, he always does it in kind of slightly <laughs> dreadful ways, doesn't he? <laughs> well, not 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 always. I guess I guess um, well, Freema's character gets a gets a decent write off, but but certainly Rose and um, it's a mi- it's a mixture. Rose is going to carry on doing good works, but yes. just in another universe. Yeah, so it's a mixture, Martha. Oh, goes to work for unit, of course. Yeah. Mm. Donna is the obvious exception. Do you, Do you think that that Rose is the new series version of Sarah Jane? I mean, is she is she the definitive companion still from the new series, or as have others kind of come along and and nabbed that spot from her? Tricky one. I think she probably is the definitive. I mean, she might not be our individual favourite, but I think. She's stuck in people's minds because she's so vivid and, and the relationship between her and the Ninth Doctor is set up so mm. clearly and it's such a good performance. But on the other hand, it's had a sort of negative side as well in that it's set up this idea that the Doctor can just take anybody who and say, wow, you're brilliant, you're special, you're amazing, you're the mm. best of humanity, without ever necessarily having to show that. Now, Russell does go to great lengths to show or Rose's qualities in her first few stories, but mm. the flip side of that is we get people like Ryan and Yaz, who are told they're the best <laughs> the humanity has to offer, um, where when the writer has kind of forgotten that you actually need to, to I mean, show I mean, rather than just telling. It may mm. be in post Brexit Britain they are the best of humanity. <laughs> I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, look, I, I would hope not. <laughs> There's a lot of talk about what it means to be a companion, isn't there, in the first couple of years of Who? Because we've already had a whole business of Adam in the first series. Hmm. Showing what a companion isn't. And then there's the ongoing story of whether Mickey is good enough, has got what it takes. Mm. So is this showing, exploring that from yet another different angle? Or is it taking a big a step back to show the bigger picture? 
I mean, obviously what it's doing, I suppose, is presaging. It's as much preparing the audience for the departure of Rose, isn't it, as it is an intellectual look at <laughs> at this topic, just for the sake of it, for its own sake. We've already had forced upon us the fact that the Doctor is not necessarily permanent. And now, you don't have to prepare the audience for that. They're not stupid. You could you could just hmm. drop a piano on Rose at the end of her last story and they they just have to deal with it, wouldn't they? But I'd like the fact... If it's not already clear, I like the fact that we get prepared for it in such a such a sincere way. Do you get a sense for how much of this is RTD and how much of it is Toby Whithouse? And, and, and I mean Phil Collinson as well, I suppose. But cause, because I guess because the, the idea clearly seems to come from from RTD and Phil Collinson, they talk mm. Elizabeth Sladen into doing it. But yeah. at the same time, it's it's a fantastic script, which. You know, you've got to imagine that the credited writer has uh, a fair chunk of responsibility for. I don't know. Mm. Apparently, RTD had the the idea that you would do it and you would do it with Sarah Jane from the 2003 attempt of, you know, the, the slightly abortive attempted re, re, you know, reboot at that point. So I think right. he, he always knew, I guess he always knew it was a story that was worth telling. Mm. But then apparently he, he initially wanted to do it. He initially thought, okay, maybe in year three hmm. of the new series, and then, okay, well, maybe late in year two, and then it ended up, yeah. Did you mean, Richard, specifically the, the finished script? Because obviously there's no way of knowing, but because Toby Whithouse is quite a fixture for the first hmm. few years who he keeps coming back, I assume. This is his that, first. That though, must be because he's good and they yes. and they actually use what he writes. And and of course we have other examples of his writing and his own show running. He's yeah, yeah. always been a big fan, so I I'm happy to believe that he wrote most of this. Hmm. To be take a side sidestep into negativity just for a second, the, the only bits that don't work for me are those little forced bitching sessions between Rose and Sarah Jane. I, hmm. I don't believe I'm the only person to have found them slightly contrived. And they're not really... I don't really feel like either of them are fully in character in those moments. Mm. So somebody seems very keen to get those moments in there and write them to the hilt and get the full comic potential out of those moments. And it does seem... To, it sticks out a bit to me, so I don't know. I don't know if that's Toby... It's either Toby doing what he feels he's been briefed to do, or it's not him, is my opinion. Hmm. But I could be wrong. Wouldn't that be great? Toby, I, I know you're listening. Please get in and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> it feels to me like like Sarah would be upset, I suppose, that you know there's somebody, that there's a prototype Sarah with the Doctor. But I'm not sure that she'd necessarily attack it in quite the way that, that we've seen. I don't know. It, it, yeah, mm. I mean, it, it's 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 good drama. I, th- I think it's slightly demeaning for somebody, yeah. you know, her age and maturity. Exactly. To it, get seems drawn on, into it. it seems and on it, brand for Rose to it, to it defensively. <laughs> and... and yet, of course, you know, if she's the best of humanity, should, shouldn't Rose be above this as well? But it's fine. I understand no, what it's there for. We've just had Tooth and Claw. We know in season two, you know, she's... Well, yes. in context, yeah. yes. Yeah. Of course, to, yeah. slightly related, but also even less related from a different point of view. <laughs> We're, it's immediately followed by yet another story where the Doctor yeah. makes a, a very firm female friend and Rose mm. 
gets a bit angsty about it. And of course, yeah. that it is just like you were saying about Time War and Invasion of the Dinosaurs being scheduled rather oddly, considering this similar mm. plots. This is more explicable because, of course, Moffat didn't tell them what he was planning to write, did he? <laughs> he just came. They said Madame de Pompadour, and he came back with a story about the Doctor getting obsessed with a woman. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Benza and, mm. and Rose getting jealous. So I guess they had to tone that down, perhaps, once they realised mm. it was going to clash a bit. But it works fine. It works more as a restatement of what we've already seen, getting Mickey glosses over it by saying, oh, look, it's happened again. Mm. So they get away with it. Mm. Sarah's still a, a journalist. Yes. Mm. I, I can't quite decide whether she actually is working for the Sunday Times doing a profile of this guy, or whether that's just a ruse that she said that she's from the Sunday Times and that's appealed to his vanity and that's got her in. I, 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 I could go either way on that. But but nonetheless, she's believably still working as a journalist and you know senses a, a story of some sort, whether it's a puff piece in the Sunday Times or whether it's something a bit more meaty for somebody else down the line. Mm. Some people, sorry, it's slight non-sequitur, but some, some people accuse this and, and say... Sarah will, of course, when they when they bring Sarah Jane back in School of Reunion, they completely rewrite her relationship with the Doctor. Do you know, that's exactly the point I was going to bring up next. And they make it... Go on, then. They make it this pseudo-romance mm. sort of thing that it never was. I think... I think it's vague enough. It, mm. It's never spelled out that it was romantic. I think it's left vague in a way that I... I feel like everyone should be happy with it rather than anybody being unhappy. <laughs> but yes, I do remember that. I do remember people saying, why did why did Sarah never move on? What? Because it wasn't that sort of relationship. Well, that, that's rather silly. It wouldn't have to be. It was clearly extreme. <laughs> it's both a very strong personal relationship, no matter how you define it, and also mm. the most extraordinary part of anybody's life, which is the main yes. point this story is going on yes, about. Yes, yeah. yeah. It's, it's talking both about the lifestyle he get, yes. he throws people into and then then whisks mm. them out of again, and also his own personal magnetism, which I guess is the thing he mm. he yeah. isn't aware of. He's not aware of the effect he has. See, see, I think I think a man and a woman, or you know, a time lord and a woman, can have a relationship that isn't necessarily a romantic. It's it's not a physical relationship. It's not you know. It's not about physical attraction necessarily but it's still very deep and very you know so that even if they even if they didn't have a romantic relationship it mm. would still impact the rest of your life you'd still be thinking you know he is this person that i connected with on such a deep mm. level no other subsequent mm. relationship has, has quite that same depth to it so yeah. i yeah i i can i can buy it even though i do agree that there's there's not really a hint that they are it's such yeah it's such a strong connection that it yes. it has to be considered an emotional connection. And that means yes. you're in the realms of love with a small L, yeah. mm. which could e equally easily be a platonic form. Mm. There's no need to assume that we're going to the realms of romance here, mm. I yeah. don't think. I, I think that's a bit of that. That's yeah. what I was going to say incel. I think that's a bit of the um, that faction of fans that just don't want to, back in the day, we don't. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's less common now that didn't want any hanky panky in the TARDIS. Mm. I guess we're overreacting. I think to... may, maybe it is just a hangover from from the fact that the because the template of you know the template they were setting up with Doctor and Rose was romantic, so therefore 
<laughs> you were by by making any comparison between mm. between Rose and the Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith's relationship with the Doctor, that was sort of mapping a romantic element onto that. Mm. You know, whereas as RTD went on, and we obviously had the Doctor and Donna mm. and that relationship, and that is the you know an exact parallel to what you were just talking about. Yeah, you know, in that it's a it's a very intense. Intense relationship of you know in the most extraordinary part and and it, this is maybe one of the first times where where we get to that point where you it's a bit of a corner that subsequent you know showrunners do kind of paint paint themselves into Russell and Moffat to some extent with making making the relationship and and, and traveling with the Doctor so extraordinary that you have to keep on coming up with in extremis reasons why why that journey comes to an end mm. instead of it just being that people have had enough. Mm. Although again, Russell, <laughs> you know, for all that he claimed, okay, he wrote himself into a corner with Martha's character. In some ways he actually was also smart enough to say, well, why doesn't she just, <laughs> yeah, why don't we just have a companion that leaves? Yeah. So we, so we don't get stuck in that situation. And the fact that I know it's so long since I've seen the hand of fear, and I pretty sure watched the last five minutes of it, but you do get the fact that with you know the way that she, the way that Sarah Jane is written out, it is an unfinished yeah. story. It's not like it's not like Joe who makes a conscious decision to leave and be with Cliff. It's not like Lilo who makes a conscious decision to go off and be with Andred. Yeah, romance of the century. God knows why, but you know, <laughs> it feels like most most of the other companions. You also. In addition to the fact that Sarah Jane is iconic, you know she also does have this very abrupt. Yes, I've never thought of her her leaving scene as as perfunctory, but it does it does leave a sense of unfinished business, which is which makes it very easy for them to pick that up here and yeah, and sort of explore that yes you you've been left hanging for half your life. Yeah, you know, always... and the only and the only problem with that. Because mm. because I because I absolutely agree with you. I, I think I think it it connects really well with the hand of fear. But the only problem with that is we've got Canine and Company, and we've got the Five Doctors. <laughs> mm. You know, if they, if they hadn't kept bringing her back, I think it would have worked yeah. a lot better. Mm. But I mean, you know, we can we I guess we can you know, we, we we perhaps dramatically expunge those from our minds. But but yeah, it, 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 and of course, there's no there's no opportunity for. Sarah to connect directly with the fourth doctor, the one who left her. She gets mm. to meet the fifth and the third. Well, we yeah, can hand, hand wave it away and say well, she doesn't remember that. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it does possibly. feel to me like she's not supposed to have remembered it to the extent. Mm. I mean, as far as they can <laughs> express an opinion on that by through not addressing it, it does feel to me like you're supposed to think mm. it didn't happen somehow. Right. And that would be very in character for Time Lord stories, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But, um, and of course, the flip side of all this emotional introspection is that we get to hear the Doctor's side of it, don't we? Mm. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he isn't has doesn't have a heart of stone. Maybe he has a good reason for not wanting to keep these people on board forever. Mm. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, it is it, it 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 is surprisingly sweet, isn't it? In a way, that you know he's he's trying to, well, or, or is it? Is he's trying to spare himself? Spare himself pain. I don't know. I mean, I mean at least he's acting from sort of noble motives, I suppose. 
You said it in a slightly harsh way. It's typical of the Tenth Doctor at this point. But uh, you die, Rose. You humans. You... <laughs> oh, thanks very much. <laughs> also, it's got that bloke from Buffy in and some bat monsters. Yes, yeah. 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 Let's talk about the So <laughs> so in terms of what Toby Bithouse did do, yeah, as I understand it, the the initial template for this was something called Black Ops and it was going to be set on a military base or around a military base. Hmm. So the entire plot was basically, yeah, the doctor runs into Sarah Jane while she's doing some investigating and the initial template was a military base some aliens who had taken that over and were using, presumably in a somewhat similar way to the way the Crillitanes are using the school children, were using the nearby villagers to calculate slash manufacture some super weapon. And apparently that all got scrapped because, it, yeah, they were pleased with it, but Russell T reckons there was too much running around and, and having the presumably multiple settings just meant too much plot contrivance. Right. Blimey. He actually wrote the draft there, did he? Oh, apparently. I think okay, I believe. Quite a waste of time. Yeah. I think I'm you'd just... be able to spot that at, as I say, every single time. You'd think you'd better spot that at storyline stage, but... Oh, uh, gee, yeah, you, you've got me wondering. Maybe it wasn't... No, it's not that important. Hmm? No, no, no so, I just want... Yeah. What I mostly think when I watch this is it's a quite a slight story, but it's it's very entertaining, and it's about the yeah. right sort of... pitch at the right sort of level. Yeah. To bolster, to give us framework for the real meat, which is which yeah. all the stuff we've already been discussing. And as a, yeah, they're quite nice-looking aliens, and we have a very strong, nicely written, nicely played lead villain in, in from Buffy. And I always think that every time I watch it, until I get to the point where they unveil their real plan and what they're doing with these kids, when I think, <laughs> oh no, it's one of them. Yeah. I don't understand what you're saying. I don't believe it. I don't care. Yeah. Can't they just be up to no good? Why are they? But um, there you go. Apparently, it reached just to finish Black Ops. Apparently, it sounds like it reached treatment stage, and then that was where it was. Oh, that's that's they right. li- they liked it, but they felt yeah. It's more pleasantly macabre than these. We're set in a school where the where big bats are eating children. It's it's children. fun. I've, I've, I've forgotten about the pre-credit sequence. That's quite yes. nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't normally get a child eaten before the uh, to theme music, do you? No, no. I love that little look he gives at us out there as he's closing the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, he's fantastic in this. Yeah. Hmm. Apart from their appallingly overcomplicated and tedious plan, I mm. quite like the basic idea of the Krillitanes. I would. Have, I was always surprised he didn't bring them back again. I mean, not that we could have had. Anthony head back, but well, I'm surprised yeah. they didn't bring him lot... back. We don't see. Well, yeah, I would. Case. I would have done. I would have had him back, and yeah, and the Crillitanes make some use out of that yeah. very distinctive. What, what what do you call it? There. Ah. <laughs> well, the, the the mo the idea that they the they absorb, yeah, which we the, don't get the... to see because they look the same all the way through the story. Yes, so yeah. it's a bit of a waste to give a give an, the idea an that mo like change. that and then not show us it. Mm, yeah. But unless, of course, you're setting it up for them appearing in the future, looking different. But mm. but we don't. We never saw them again. There you go. It's yeah. interesting that they, they they only have one sort of oil, the Crillitanes, and it's mm. Crillitane yeah. oil. I mean, Sainsbury's yeah. got uh, a dozen <laughs> types. Yeah. R- yeah, rice bran is my favourite. Has a yeah. high smoking point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. If you're a Crillitane, there's only one sort, and it's fatal to you. 
mm. as well, which is a bit of a, of a drawback. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> but 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 the chips are delicious, so you know that's mm. the plus point. I absolutely agree with you, Paul. I think I think it is. I think it's a slight story, but it's it's just enough to so you don't get distracted from from the um, emotional journey. Mm. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I what I quite like also about that climactic scene. You know, where they reveal it's the scasis paradigm, whatever that is, mm. is that actually it's Sarah who pulls the doctor out. You know, the, the doctor looks for a second as if he might be almost, yeah. su- you know, half seduced by Finch. Well, and Sarah's yeah. the one who says you can't fix pain and loss. So, I, so I, mm. I, I like that that beat of it, even though the scasis paradigm is obvious gibberish. Mm. <laughs> that's the, that's the nice the nice thing about it that that does give it a bit of heft. The fact that. Finch can, you know, he's tempting the Doctor if you want to go for your religious metaphors or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're not doing links links yet, no pun ah, intended. But, oh, there's, links. but I mean, ah. we do get, you know, it's another one with a with a villain who gets to have a proper one-to-one mm. tete-a-tete intellectual yes. meeting yes, of yeah. equals with the Doctor. Yeah. It's framed in sort of spaghetti western style, isn't it? Mm. For no particular reason, but it's all... Yes, and musically, it's you know, Murray Gold leans into that. He's got quite a few little stings right from the start. Any time Finch appears on screen, he gets a twang of you know, mm. spaghetti western guitar. It seems. I enjoyed James Hall's direction. I've only just remembered. He did he do the uh, Empty Child in the first? He did. Yes. Right. I'd, yeah, which I thought was. I must have been a big fan of his at the time. I thought he was the best mm. in the first series, and then he mostly. Lived up to that promise in the mm. second series, but there was that um, controversy over his work, wasn't there? So he never came back. Was there? But he still I d- was there. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he did this in Christmas Invasion. He was going to be producer of. He was going to produce Torchwood, and then he apparently found his discovered he preferred directing. Ah, he's still doing it. I, I knew I'd seen his name recently. It was on Slow Horses, the ah, yes. Apple TV spy thing. Mm. So, well done. Mm. It, it suffers, interestingly, the, 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 this plot, the, the, the story here, line here, suffers from the same thing you were railing about last time, Paul. Oh, no. Uh, you know, this, the noble sacrifice thing, in that yeah. you, you, the, 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 the Sonic's crew driver can do anything in the new series. It can wash dishes... It can, you know, it can go super. You know, you, you probably break, break the speed of. You, you could travel from from London to Edinburgh in two seconds if you needed to, but it can't unlock a deadlocked seal, whatever one of those is. So K nine <laughs> has to um, sacrifice yeah. himself. Mm. I would, I would be a lot more annoyed about that if it wasn't that K nine comes back again five minutes later, better than ever. Yeah. Mm. So it's kind Phew. of pointless. But <laughs> well done, well done, K nine. Good dog. Mm. Yeah. It's all, it's very, it's very uh, just clever thematically the way that, considering it's actually, it's actually juggling four companions, you know, as well, because you're kind of getting, you're, you're getting Mickey's perspective and him, yeah, him providing a commentary on pointing out to the viewers, the, you know, what's going on. And also, you know, and also the stuff with K9 and so on. And obviously, this is the, the story that's the kind of making of Mickey in terms of, he then says, "Well, can I come along?" It keeps on. That's the thing. It's it's one of these things that reminds me a bit of groping all the way back to the last time we recorded Survival, where we said, "Oh, you know, you you kind of come as a come at a topic. You you find a theme and come at it from every possible angle." Mm-hmm. 
it feels you know it feels like this is the same only the question is what's it like to be the doctor's companion and it's just like okay yeah. let's have yeah. what does that mean you know you've got everything from everything from the noble self sacrifice to the you know to being the hanger on to you know all these all these different different little angles that it keeps throwing up at it so I, and i th- i think in terms of okay I mean, the crilatainer I know we've had the Reapers in series one, but they're possibly the. It feels like they're the first of those kind of CGI monsters mm-hmm. that we're going to get CGI monsters that don't react, interact with, yeah. with the real world all that much in their in their fully CGI flying form or whatever. And that becomes yeah. a bit mm-hmm. of a. That was bit of a, obvious in some of the cuts where, mm. yeah, where they attack our heroes outside the uh, restaurant yeah. where they are and. We just yeah. see rever- shot, reverse shot with no interaction mm, whatsoever. Yeah. And then when they run yes. past them in the corridor, it's a bit like those <laughs> awkward shots where they tr- interact with the Slovene, with the CGI mm. Slovene. The yes, yes, yeah. it is. Mm. I noticed there's a couple. I noticed there's a couple of point of view shots that reminded me of the werewolf, in, werewolf point of view shots in Tooth of Claw. They just vignette the outside edges of the of the frame to imply with the camera chasing chasing after people. And I think, and the, yeah, the Skatis paradigm is, yes, it's a MacGuffin. It's it's all a bit daft and it's a bit throwaway. But it's also, I don't know, I'm, I'm minded to let it off those things because it's it's also, I think, pretty much the first time we've had some of these things in the new series. Yeah. And right. when when you start revisiting it, but yeah, and it is, I think that there's the right amount of plot, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Um, you don't want you don't want a hefty plot when you. That's not the point of what you're doing, really. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're going to get something similar in the next series with um, the Shakespeare Code. But for now, I agree. It's for, it, it's one of those... It's the first time, I think, you're right, we've come across um, something that's like that. Mm, yes, yeah. Well, we get that one, then we get, you know, Vampires of Venice bits. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's the sort of aliens, alien swarms thing. Feels like we get more than those, but... We probably do. Hmm. I wonder how um, feminist Sarah from the Time Warrior would feel about the fact that when Rose and Sarah get their one scene together, all they can do is talk about the Doctor. <gasps> Fails the Beckdale test, doesn't it? Yeah. Goodness me. <laughs> ostentatiously so. <laughs> I mean, the other thing that she doesn't pick the Doctor up on is that he, at the end he calls her my Sarah Jane. I mean, I yeah. think in '74 mm. she just said, "I'm I'm my own Sarah Jane." Thank you very much. But I mean, may, maybe you know she's also in thirty odd years has mellowed a little bit and and mm. uh, doesn't feel the need um, to uh, assert herself in quite that way. Yes, depends whether she sees him as a man or not. Is he more mm. than just a man, or is he a man as well as being more than a man? Mm. Or is it, I I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I mean, they could have they could have covered that angle. In terms of showing Rose that her perspective is rather narrow and limited, and that she still thinks the Doctor's boyfriend potential rather than yeah, yeah. Mm. Time Lord Victorious, they could put a right from Sarah Jane Smith's angle, but somehow they don't. They leave it. They, they go the other direction and make it. Oh dear, it's it's so odd. I know what I should have said earlier. Mm-hmm. When they meet, it's the Doctor that gets emotional. Now, of course, yes. this is contrived because Sarah Jane doesn't recognise him. Mm. Yes. And and she makes up for it later on when she does know who she is. But we, yeah. have we ever seen the Doctor get so dewy-eyed and tongue-tied over bumping into an old friend before? No. 
Thank you. <laughs> so, um, is that just is that in character? Is that um, just to tell us that Sarah? Is that so we believe that Sarah Jane Smith is special? It doesn't feel like it's been contrived to make a point to the noobs in the audience. To me, it feels very real. Hmm. It, it's one of those things, isn't it, of life imitating art? Of you, you know, you've got <laughs> David Tennant in the presence of. Elizabeth Sladen, at the same mm. time, you've got the Tenth Doctor in the presence of Sarah. But, mm. but yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it does seem to be suggesting that this is a a, per, a person with whom the Doctor has made a particularly strong connection. Yeah, mm. can't quite imagine him having the same reaction if he bumped into Tegan again. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's yeah, very, un- very unfair. I mean, she she was quite happy when she bumped into Tegan again, but you know, it mm. wasn't. You can get all dewy eyed. She was still. She still had, you know, well, more of a more of an eye for Yaz at that moment. Yeah, thirteenth step doesn't do emotion, of course. So um. it's clever the way it's constructed. That just because of the plot mechanics, we get to have we get to have the emoting from yes, we get to have the emoting from the doctor first, and then we get another scene where we can have all the emoting on 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 Sarah Jane's side. It is clever, and it would have been so easy just to skip that first one and have mm. the one that we're all expecting. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think what else that we should be talking about. I mean, we've probably given Mickey about about as much room as he deserves. We've talked about the writing. We've talked about the the companions. Well, look, t- t- David Tennant. He's not quite the the tenth Doctor that he will become. He's you know it's still relatively early in his tenure, and I guess I yeah, I've forgotten. He, it is, yeah, yeah. He didn't always have the kind of you know huge quiff and and the kind of slightly angsty performance he seemed you know he's, he's relatively unencumbered by that in this mm. yes <laughs> i enjoyed his performance I, I i think the longer he went on the, the 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 less i enjoyed him but i think i was happy you know i like this bit this aspect of it mm. it did get me mulling over wondering what he's going to be like when yeah. we see him again yeah it was this christmas invasion of new earth so it's block one yeah. that's what i thought so it really is very early in. The thing is, I have I have a lot of affection for David Tennant. I just have slightly less affection for the Tenth Doctor sometimes. But mm. I'm hoping. I'm, I mean, I'm I'm really hoping to, that that the forthcoming specials are going to be are going to be something special. And he was great, I think, in the 50th anniversary thing. So yeah, I shouldn't really have any qualms about it. Mm. Who knows? We are we remain in limbo about all this. He's back paired with his best companion. Mm. Well. I think, I mean, aside from the, uh, I've got links between the two, perhaps, as as Giles laughed. Um, but yeah, there's I don't know. Nothing, you got any other things? Funny you, about uh, that. Yeah, is, is there anything you, anything else you want to say about about this story before we get into that aspect of it? There's a couple of nice things, you know, gags written in there, like the undercutting kind of things that we get in a couple of places, like the, the pulling the plug, the answer to. Yeah, oh, yes. to undermining the you know, I yes. think that that's nice and the the whole thing of the you know, when Canaan wakes up and says, We're in a car like <laughs> when yes. they they have to get into the <laughs> Yeah. Into the thing. It takes Mickey about four repetitions to realise what's yeah. what the point of it is. And there's some nice yeah, there's nice humour in there. Yeah. As well. So it's just, just nice little moments that I noticed. Yeah, I I agree. It, it's slightly undercutting the some of the I guess scenarios in similar films or TV where somehow they never seem to do the obvious thing. I, li- yeah, I agree. Mm. I like that. It's it's slightly knowing, but it's not it's not pulling you out of the story. Mm. Okay. 
I, I guess before we move on to things, one last thing I'd say was, as a person, I, I didn't ever take the opportunity to to find Liz Sladen and to tell her how much she'd meant to me when I was growing up. But thankfully, there were other people who did that for me, uh, and they turned it into an episode of Doctor Who. Hmm. <laughs> well said. Yeah. Okay, the first obvious link that I found here was journalism. So on both cases, in both cases, Sarah is arriving in the story as a journalist after a story. So that's that's simple. And I think you, you mentioned this already, but in both cases, the Doctor has previous with the alien race. So, oh yeah, on oh, screen previous. Yeah. Mm. And actually, the other way around too, as you mentioned. The, the... And both alien races have opinions on the Time Lords. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, this is probably true of almost. I mean, it's definitely true of the Cybermen. It's probably true of almost every alien race, which is they, you know, they, they're utterly invulnerable except for one weakness. It's the Achilles mm. heel, isn't it? You know, it's the, it's the probate vent and the crillitane oil. Mm. They're signposted early, and and actually, you know, it's it's, it's a nice uh, it's a nice touch the way that Hal finishes off the. The Sontaran, isn't mm. it? In, in that, that, that it, you know, it's, it's, it's telegraphed perhaps, but it's it's it's, it's Chekhov's uh, probe event, I suppose. Or... Yes. So are you <laughs> saying it's true of every alien species other than the Cybermen? Because the no, 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 no. Because it, the Cybermen have a different Achilles heel every time they. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's it going to be this week? Radiation? <laughs> no, it's gold. No, it's. <laughs> yeah. Nutmeg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Five doctors is lactose intolerance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh. You've got the aliens souping up the contemporary technology to do something that it couldn't otherwise do somehow. Oh, true. Yeah. There's a big bang at the end. Um, yeah, but but of course the, setting, again, the main setting gets blown up. Yeah, one of them uses CGI. In a slightly unconvincing way, the other one mm. cuts to footage of a quarry uh, detonation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slightly too late mm. to disguise it as anything else. Yeah, and finally, I've got spuds. I mean, uh, erroneously, you were sitting oh. I- 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 erroneously in the Time Warrior novelization, you've got Sarah Jane peeling potatoes. It doesn't actually happen in the in the TV version. Ah, yes, and you've got you've got chips in the school reunion. Oh, good point. Companion has to work in. Companion has to work in the kitchen in both of them. Yes. Yeah, Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. I wish my mind worked like yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm beginning to think that my my link section just simply proves that there are some aspects of a Doctor Who story that are universal, <laughs> rather than that that the the two that we've picked us are, are necessarily um, thematically linked. Although I, I think I think we've got a we've got a better one than we usually do. <laughs> no, that's terrific. Well done to whoever suggested it, Giles. <laughs> <laughs> Is that it? Should we, should we go for the close? Yeah, I think. Let's wrap this sucker. Okay. Well, look, thanks for listening to Something Who. If you've enjoyed what we've done, please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast, as uh, the uh, reviewer at the start of, of our episode did. And. I think the first episode we put out from this recording, if indeed I split it in two, as I often do, will be our 100th episode. I mean, it won't be the 100th numbered episode. It'll only be episode 82. But I think there are, in total, 
a hundred podcast episodes on our site once once that one goes up. So there's plenty for you to listen wow. to anyway while you're wis- waiting for the next one to land. More than enough, some might say. Yeah, <laughs> and, yet we, and yet we carry on. Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? So look, if you if you like something, who please tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, your neighbours, and all your social media connections. But look, if yeah. and if you don't like us, get then... on X and Threads and spread yeah, the word. Absolutely. If you hate us, please don't tell us all. So thanks, Paul. Thanks, Giles. It's been great chatting with you again. Ta-da. Cheers. Has indeed. Ta-da. And, and, and we look forward to bringing you some more Something Who in the near future. <laughs> that killed the conversation. <laughs>